Hey, Last Looks crew. Welcome. Ahoy. Hello. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I see a female grip camera assist or DOP on set, it makes me smile. I guess it's because I'm a chick, or maybe I just genuinely like to see more of a balanced ratio of anything and everything on set. Melanie Ragone has made her way into a male-dominated department on set and is now sharing her experiences, practical information, and super helpful advice in her new book titled Below the Line, a film crew survival guide book for women. My name's Jamie Lee, your host, and I happen to be a hairstylist working in the film industry. How I found out about Melanie and her book was through my husbandit, Brett Stanley. He thought it looked like a cool idea for a book, and I agreed. Once I read a little bit more about Melanie, I thought you guys would want to know more about her story and her book. This is a bonus episode of The Last Looks Podcast, a show where we normally catch up with hair and makeup artists working in film from around the world, but today it's all about Melanie, the female grip you see on set that makes you smile. Hey Trisha. Last Looks, rolling, and action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Melanie. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Okay, so this is where our story begins. I want you to finish this sentence for me, okay? Okay. Once upon a time, there was a little girl named Melanie. I mean, she grew up. She wanted to be. Ooh, so I started actually, funny enough, in theater when I was younger and in song. I was a singer and I played piano. So I kind of always thought that I was going to go in front of the camera. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to make movies ever since I watched E.T., Okay. I, you know, I, I can't even it's this has been ingrained in me. I was actually named after a, a famous movie star. So it's kind of been this path that I've been on for literally my entire life. But yeah. um, I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to get there. I honestly, before I was in the film industry, I knew I always wanted to make movies, but I just didn't know exactly what department I wanted to work in. It wasn't a direct hit like right out of the gate. Yeah, I just knew that once I started getting opportunities kind of on smaller things that I was definitely I'm more behind the camera person. That's just kind of how it fell. And so how did you make this happen? Like, how did you end up on your first set? I started uh, attending art school some time ago. I mean, film school at the Art Institute. And uh, this was in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. And I kind of connected through some you know, Craigslist postings and just kind of all of those little random sites that existed. I mean, there's so many more now, but back in the day, you know, like a Craigslist was a viable option for finding, you know, little production work. And mm. I remember I started getting video production work with somebody locally on just some commercials and things. And and then I met this guy who was shooting high-end videos for weddings. Okay. And I remember him saying something like, oh, you know, you're doing all this PA work and kind of like doing little small things on set, you know, you should consider gripping. You're already doing lighting. And, you know, I was doing small little camera rigs and whatnot. And I was, I honestly didn't even know what a grip did. Right. And a lot of people don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to continue doing this for now. But I remember I went and checked out, um, they were wrapping Teen Wolf and I went and checked the gear out. And I just remember thinking, I have no fucking idea what any of this stuff is <laughs> yeah. for. Like, I really didn't have a clue like yeah. what happened outside of thinking I knew what happened on set. I have really mm. didn't have any idea. I think my, you, you want to know about like my first union show or do you want to know about the first time I was actually like, because I, I started in reality television. Okay. But I started as a PA. 
Yeah. And, uh, and then I kind of started to get little more bits of work from them. Mm. And then I had kind of started my, you know, inquest into what it would take to get into the union at the same time. Yeah. But um, my first real movie set mm. was when I went and worked Hunger Games. Okay. And it was on second unit. And I remember still, even then, I was just, you know, completely clueless. But by then I had joined the union and was, you know, gradually starting to get days on set, you know, where I was gripping. Yeah. I kind of abandoned, of course, the PA work because it had basically gotten me up to the next level that I got to. And what drew you to grip? Um, <laughs> honestly, because someone told me it was the hardest job on set. Okay. So I, I figured that if I could do the hardest job on set mm -hmm. and and eventually work my way, and I, it was funny thing was, is I never wanted to be a best boy because I like being on set. I'm very much, and I'm a first unit grip. I like being in there. I like being, I like the lighting, the camera support. But I eventually, when I thought, well, if this is the hardest job on set, then this is, you know, this is what I want to do. Because if I can accomplish this and I can do anything else I want in the, in the film world, that was kind of my mindset. And I just thought that, also, too, as I learned that, you know, how cool the grip department is because you work with every single department on set. You know, yeah. you don't you don't just work with the DP or with the gaffer. You know, you literally work with every department on set because, you know, the grips are kind of like the MacGyvers on set. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they fix everything and they rig it and, you know, they, they carry the camera carts up the stairs. And, you know, it's yeah. It's literally kind of like everything that, that's intertwined. Do you want to, for those who maybe do not understand what the role of a grip is, do you want to go over that? Yeah, sure. Essentially, and I mean, I'm saying this is in the US, it's kind of across the board, I feel. And uh, the way that I was brought up as a grip, it, we are camera support first, yeah. and, then, and then we are lighting second. So a camera support can entail anything from rigging a camera on in a car, in a helicopter, on a tank, mm -hmm. in a truck. It, it could be anywhere the director of photography wants the camera placed, the grips have to get it there. Regardless of what the the height of the shot, the, you know, wherever that camera needs to get, we are responsible for getting it there. And then secondary to that, and that's typically you know, we work also too. We have dolly grips. That's their primary function, but yeah. we also help the dolly grips. And then aside from the camera support, the lighting portion of it is on union film sets. And this is in film and television. I'm not talking about commercials. Grip and electric is separate. And in commercial world, I know that those melt together. But um, where I've been getting my experience is basically electric brings the lights in and then the grips cut color, diffuse, and shape the light to give it that look and feel. So if you're ever watching something and you're like, God, that looks so good, or damn, that looks blown out and looks shitty, you know, that's <laughs> that's the lighting of that. But it's just that it's the we we literally bring the director of photography's vision to mm. life. That's and and so and so it kind of like the structure hierarchy on set is it's the director of photography, the gaffer and the key grip, then basically kind of, you know, give the orders to all of the grips and the electric, and then we bring that director of photography's vision to life. And I mean, now there's probably more women coming into these areas than say even five or 10 years ago. What was it like? What's that experience like coming into a male 
dominant arena, I suppose, because there's, I mean, most of the time it's guys. It is. And it definitely has, I mean, I'm going to be honest with the numbers. It hasn't changed a lot. Okay. But the thing that is really awesome about it is that because of social media, and I moved to LA during when COVID shut down, like the whole city down. So I kind of mm. used, you know, Instagram as kind of a networking thing. Mm. And what's really cool, though, is that I have been contacted by grip women all over the world now, which is really cool. So like, I've got people who I know in Canada, South Africa, and Mexico and Finland, you know, it's, it's really cool. And also I hear this too, from other women that work in other countries is that the United States is kind of, <laughs> unfortunately, the one that doesn't have very men and women working in these jobs. There's more women working these positions in other places mm. than in the U.S. And it is still highly male dominated. And going into it, it was kind of intimidating. I played sports my whole life, so mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, unfamiliar with that competitive type environment. But it is still very intimidating, which is why like I've, I've been talking with a girl that's in New Jersey and she's a commercial grip and she wants to make the jump into the union world. And, and I kind of told her, I was like, well, here's, you know, what to expect. And I mean, I'm happy to answer anybody's questions because I remember what I started feeling not kind of stupid asking some questions sometimes. And that's just like, that sounds silly, Mm. But it's definitely an intimidating environment. And I certainly had a mentor who, you know, eventually took me under his wing. And I had definitely a massive group of guys who helped train me and teach me everything that I know. I worked with one, one key grip in Atlanta who is a female and one female DP. And that's it in all of my years. So mm. it's it definitely does starting out it, it can be extremely intimidating for women i think to enter into these departments that are male dominated it definitely takes a certain type of resolve mm. yeah i yeah. mean I, I i say it to everyone it's not for everyone yeah can can you do it absolutely you can do it you can do whatever the fuck you want yeah but it is a certain i we it's funny because working on set we oftentimes equate it to like being in the military or being in a war together so it's kind of like it's that kind of environment where, you know, it's, it isn't, it's, it's not for everyone, but it's certainly like, I want to provide the information so that if someone's even thinking about going that direction, I'd be like, here, let me tell you, I can give you all the information I've got or how to get in or, yeah. um, you know, what area you should move to, but. Yeah. Um, and let's, let's throw all those ideas of glamour out the window. Um, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, for don't, real. Don't. I mean, don't think that this is going to be a glam. I mean, it has not been a glamour <laughs> shot. It's been fun as hell. And I have met some incredible people and I yeah. love what I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's not glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> so through all of your experiences, you have written a book Yes, and it's below the line, a film crew survival guide book for women which Correct. is amazing. So tell me a little bit about how that came about. Like what, what made you do it? I think when I first started thinking I was going to write a book about it, it was just kind of stuff where I was like, fuck, I wish I had known that when I got into the business or somebody might find this piece of information useful. Or it was, it was definitely that where I was just like, damn, that would have been helpful to know. You know what I mean? Kind of over and over and over again. And so yeah. I just kind of started keeping notes in my phone, you know, like a, either emails to myself or when something would happen on set, whether it be a funny story or whether it was like a vital piece of information where I thought that this would benefit somebody one day. 
if they were thinking about getting in the industry. But yeah, it started definitely as it started more as practical advice. And then it kind of it kind of morphed into, well, here's my personal advice, too, because definitely have an opinion about a lot of things. And (laughs) and so I, I just figured that if this could help women and of course, anybody can read the book, but I just felt like because I'm a woman and because I came up in a male dominated department that this book's for women, but you know, you don't have to be a woman to read it. No, of course not. And it might be nice to actually see, like be able to read your opinions and see where you struggled and understand your experience. Yes, Um, totally. And it did start as, as more straight up practical advice. Then I went through and I was like, okay, where could I tell like a personal story in here that would be relatable to either somebody who's already, maybe they're green, maybe they're thinking of getting into the film industry. And, and then I also pulled pearls of wisdom from people who I have worked with in the industry. And that's also in the book where I've got like an entire section of just like little nuggets of advice from, you know, crew who I've worked with over the years. Yeah. So it's not, I mean, (laughs) it could sound like we're saying that this is a cautionary book of why maybe you shouldn't get into the industry, but it's not, it's more of an inspirational, like it is amazing. This is why it's amazing. But these things are going to help you along the way yeah it's it's definitely inspirational i structured it after a 1950s army survival guide oh cool and so it's very it is it's very practical knowledge there is information in there about everything from time cards to pay to your worth to the hierarchies on set i broke down every single department on set and what their function is and then it also has things about you know parenting while you're in the industry being a mom while you're in the industry um, so the work life really <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The relationship, yeah. the mental and the physical toll. And honestly, I don't really even think that I realized how much of a mental and physical toll it had taken on me until mm-hmm. I moved to Los Angeles. Because the comedy of it is when I moved to Los Angeles, I was like, I'm not gripping anymore. And yeah. I ended up taking that job on Black Panther where I was best boy grip, but I was like, this is the last one. I mean, it was literally like the, this is the last one kind of thing. Mm. But I just didn't realize when I went back, I was like, wow, like I, I felt like I was just, I mean, I've been living on four hours of sleep essentially for like over 13 years, you know, like that, that takes its toll. And, and yes, you can get into the business and you can, achieve and and pursue any department you want. But I also didn't feel I'm extremely authentic, honest person. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to glamorize this industry for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that would be I'd be doing them a disservice if I was doing that. But this book was the focus was was to just provide straight up information about the film industry, but also to provide, you know, inspiration that it's it's possible if someone was thinking about getting into not just necessarily like a production assistant but if they wanted to pursue departments that are male dominated because most of them are yeah I mean let's be honest yeah 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 that was just reminding me of a conversation I was um kind of standing there listening to not that long ago and it was a makeup artist that I was working with and she was giving information to someone who was reasonably new to the industry And she's just like, I always say this, like, if you want to have children, you've got to plan it, like plan it. Don't just think that it's not possible because of the hours that we do. You just need to plan it. And I was just thinking, calm down. And then the more I thought about it, I was just like, (laughs) no, it's 
pretty good advice. Like otherwise, because <laughs> you'll just keep working and working and working, and then before you know it, it's just like, oh yeah, that. Oh like, yeah, happened. that 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 um, kid thing, <laughs> that kid thing. I wanted. Yeah, and it was yeah. just like it's. It is so true that whole work life balance thing, and just being conscious of it, and making sure that when you're working, you are like saving some money, putting it aside, so you can have some time off. For God's sake. Yep. It's no, just- absolutely. <laughs> yep. No, it totally. It's true. I talk about money in my book too. It's one of the things I touch on as far as like saving. Mm. And I recommended if you book the vacation, take it. Because the thing about it is, is that if you're good at what you do Mm. and you are on time and you have Mm. a good attitude, Mm. the work always comes. So even if you had to jump off of a show for two weeks and take that trip that you were planning or replace yourself for two weeks or whatever, or even if you had to quit the show because you already had something, you know, it's like, fuck you could die tomorrow you know what i mean like it's so important that we like take that time and that you don't like say oh i'm gonna take it then or oh i'm gonna have the baby then you know i'm gonna it's the whole planning thing can work but there's also like since our business is so unpredictable and the and it's you know schedules change you know dates get pushed pulled it's just important that if you schedule to do something or that like you you're trying to it's more of a a quality time thing than a quantity time thing in our industry yeah. when we're spending it with like, you know, our significant other or our kids, you know, I'm at a point in my life where my, my kids were older and, you know, my, my son was younger when I was, you know, making this trek and mm. um, I was a single parent. So it was like, those are things that, you know, you, you have to take into consideration, but I also feel like I'd be setting a bad example to him if I'm like, yeah, chase your dreams. And then I'm like, you know, not doing what I say that I'm supposed that I'm doing. Yeah. Which is chasing my dream right now. So, (laughs) so what are you moving into now? Um, well, I have a few projects that I've had on the back burner. It was kind of like when I got to the point where the book was finished and it got knocked over to my editor, I was like, okay, back to the scripts. I actually have a docu-series that I am working on, I'm developing and getting ready to pitch to some people, but it's a docu-series about women working below the line. And then a couple of scripted television scripts are behind that. Cool. So you want to move into producing, directing? I do. I do. Yeah, that was always the goal. And again, like you said, with the, you know, if you continue to take show after show after show, and that's kind of like what happened, you know, Mm. you roll, you roll from one to the next to the next. And I think that I think that a lot of us in this industry too struggle with because a lot of us have, yeah, we work in the industry, but we also have other things that we want to get up of our own off the ground, you know, and it's, and it's hard to, you know, same thing with that work-life balance thing. It's like, okay, so now we have some time off off of a show. We need to spend time with our family, but then we also need to feed that creative bug and make sure that we're working on our projects so that those don't fall by the wayside. And that's kind of where I'm at right now, where I'm working on my own projects. Because I, I just, I really want to tell women's stories and I want to be able to have my head in that game and not be like, oh, well, shit, I got to be on set at fucking 5 a.m. tomorrow morning. I got to yeah. work, you know, 14 hour days. But it's like when you're trying to get your own shit up off the ground too, it's like all of a sudden, like quite literally 10 years went by, Yeah, you know? There's not so enough hours in the day to be doing the both things. Yeah. And and I I just want to work on stuff now that I'm at the age where I just want to work on stuff that I feel passionately about and that Mm. there needs to be value and substance for me because, and I really did, I stepped back when I walked away and said, I'm not going to grip anymore because I was like, okay, so if I'm killing myself for this production and I'm 
you know, putting all this energy into it, what would happen if I put it energy into my own stuff, you yeah. know? So that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's awesome. So yep. tell me a little bit more about what stage the book is in. Cause how I came across you was the, your Kickstarter. So you have a Kickstarter going. Can you explain how that works? Yeah. So I wrote the book and I launched the Kickstarter to help because I'm self-publishing. Yeah. I'm using Book Baby, which is a legitimate, you know, self-publishing company. And they will be handling all of, you know, it will go up on Amazon. They have like 10 other platforms that they throw it up on. And then what the Kickstarter is for is to help with the marketing and those printing and publishing costs. Cool. Um, but yeah, it's, and then if I end up getting overfunded, I'm going to throw that money into the docuseries because that's coming right behind this. Like that's, you know, I might as well use this momentum that I have. And then I think the Kickstarter is up for another, I think it's 20 days or 19 days. And so what have you got available on the Kickstarter? How does that work? So it's not up for sale yet because it's mm. not published, but yeah. the, if, if they go to the Kickstarter page, you can pledge any amount you want. And even if you're unable to pledge, forwarding through email is what really helps too. So if you're in a spot and I get it, I've been broke. If you can't support monetary wise, just forwarding it to people helps. But on the, on the Kickstarter page, the book is up. I have like a little, you know, inside the book, I designed the cover. I did all the layout myself. I used to be a graphic designer. There's a little excerpt too in there and it shows the rewards for each level. So if you, if you're able to pledge this amount, you get these rewards and there's a whole breakdown on the Kickstarter page. Yeah. And there's a little video that I also put together about kind of, you know, my experiences on set and photos and videos from working on set. Yeah, it's got some pretty fun behind the scenes stuff on it. It's very cool. <laughs> I love it. So definitely encourage people to check out the Kickstarter page. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes so everyone can just easily pop down there and click that and read more about Melanie's story. And when the book comes out, we'll be reading the whole thing. It'll be amazing. No. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Super excited about it. And if someone wants to reach out to you on social media, how do they do that, Melanie? On Instagram, it's um, Melanie A. Ragone and same thing on Facebook. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. For links to see more about our guests, go to our Instagram at The Last Looks Podcast or our website, thelastlookspodcast.com. If you want to keep up with new episodes being released, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, or any podcast streaming platform. And remember, if you're enjoying the show, share it. The Last Looks Podcast would like to thank Brett Stanley and Sabrina Castro. The song Fun Time by DJ Quads. Thanks for listening. Until next time. That's a wrap, people.